Welcome to the podcast. Today is March 17th, 2020. And today we're going to talk about how tech holds up in a market crash. So how is all of this market chaos going to impact tech and startups and all tech moving forwards? Well, so many tech businesses, particularly the really big ones, the behemoths such as Facebook and Google, I mean, they've all built their businesses around advertising, let's face it. And advertising is, it's heavily sensitive to the business cycle, which means it tends to be the first expense that businesses tack on in an expanding market. In other words, when the times are really good and when the conditions are improving and so forth. But it's also the first expense to be cut during a slowdown. Now, companies don't just cut back on advertising because it's unnecessary. It's just because the potency of all their advertising campaigns is going to start declining heavily, especially during times like these. And consumer spending and discretionary incomes, those are going to start declining heavily as well. Meaning, the return on investment on any marketing campaign is going to start declining. And that's why businesses are going to start paring back on the marketing expenditures. It's really that simple. And it doesn't really matter much, you know, how sophisticated the advertising campaigns might be or how clever the underlying ad technology is or... If the consumers are holding holding onto their purse strings, then there's not going to be much advertising, full stop. So in other words, this really spells big trouble for big tech because big tech is so geared towards advertising. And come to think of it, many products that you see peddled on Facebook, they are kind of discretionary and to a large degree, if you ask me, kind of unnecessary. They're not critical. And I said this before, but Facebook, they had an opportunity to price their service more as a utility and to emphasize the actual value added to consumers and to do it to such a degree that they could be paid for, that they could be charged hard cash for. But that's not what Facebook did. But instead, they just kind of built a crude money-making machine that's, that was really built on the business model that was prevalent in 1995. So in other words, it's solely based on ads, and they just slapped on this surveillance technology piece on top of it. But it's still just plain old ads, really. Now, during these trying times, and the times are probably going to get a lot worse than this even, people are still going to be paying their internet bill, they're going to be paying their phone bill, they're going to be paying their water bill, the electricity bill, but they won't be ordering that online course that they saw a Facebook ad for, for example. It's not going to happen. Discretionary spending like that is going to be cut dramatically. And in fact, I mean, we can live without Facebook, but because it's not a utility and it's not essential and the products that you see on Facebook are not essential either, most likely. And in fact, many of the companies in the NASDAQ, they represent non-essential goods and services. And yes, that includes Apple, it includes Amazon and Netflix and so forth. In other words, we can continue on without them. And these companies were also the quickest to rise during the bull market. And I think they're also going to be the quickest to decline during the crash. And the crash is not even finished yet, not by a long shot. Now, that said, we may or may not get a bit of a relief rally from here. You know, 20% up is possible, but it's going to be a pretty small consolation, I think, because the general direction, I think, is going to be down. And also, we haven't even started seeing the Q1 results yet. And that's going to be a bloodbath, I think. What about the startup space then? I think it almost goes without saying that it's about to go into an ice age. And the signs were there all along. I mean, for example, you had the failed WeWork IPO, you had 
Tesla with their self-crashing cars. You had the sardine cans on wheels called Cybertruck. You had people investing in Virgin Galactic, basically on the daydream of conquering space. You had an Uber clone IPOing for billions of dollars. You even had Pinterest IPOing. What was that? I mean, it almost seems like a different era in history already. Anyway, it's kind of interesting to see just how quickly not only the investment sentiment changes, but kind of how day-to-day -day life can change and how the primary issues can change. So climate change, feminism, the border wall, gender issues, all those things are suddenly just kind of like an afterthought. They're kind of like philosophical luxury items. So what about alt-tech? Now, alt-tech, you got to remember, is it's hugely speculative because it's effectively an offshoot of tech. It's a play on the niches, really. And I think, unfortunately, it's going to go in for hibernation as well. It's not going to be hit as badly as general tech, the big behemoths that I mentioned before, but it will slow down, I'm sure. But it will come back out. I mean, if you can hold your nose, I think soon is going to be the time to buy even more Bitcoin, even more basic attention token, more Ethereum, and so forth. Now, can they go down 50% from here? Sure. But what is the upside once all of this has finally blown over? I think the survivors, and there might be few, but the survivors will stand tall once this is done with. And there will be another tech boom eventually. It's far into the future, I think, but it will be there. And I think soon is going to be the time when the real fortunes are made for people who can, like I say, hold their nose and stick it out. Not financial advice, not investment advice, just a guy on the internet doing some talking. We did learn one interesting thing here recently, is that Bitcoin is decidedly a risk asset. It is not a safe haven. And I mean, Bitcoiners, they've repeatedly said over the past few years that Bitcoin is different from any other asset class in that it's crashed over and over and over again, but it's gotten back up repeatedly. And that supposedly this means it's different, it's safe, it's a prudent investment of some kind. Well, it's not. Now, the reason it rose again over and over and over after the previous crashes was because we were still in an absolutely frenetic, risk-on, bullish general market environment. The conditions were overall extremely risk-on. But that said, Bitcoin right now, it does look like it is bottoming, at least in the short term. But like I say, it didn't play the role of a real safe haven. And th this might actually change slightly if we experience more outright issues that pertain more towards the monetary system, to banning cash, to maybe rationing, to restricting bank transfer, to try and stave off panics and so forth. I mean, if we start seeing banks experiencing liquidity or even solvency issues, Bitcoin might actually play a more important role here. And we might see some interesting price action. Still... What we do know now is that Bitcoin could not be used to hedge any other major asset classes, such as stocks or anything else. And speaking of stocks, last week I did mention the Euro stocks 50 and S&P 500 and how I've closed out my short there. I'm still short the Nasdaq a little bit. Now, why do I think we could go down further from here? Now, in past downturns, markets have basically been slashed in half. So, for example, during the dot-com bubble or even in 2008. But during those downturns, then monetary policy actually worked. So I think people were kind of gullible enough to actually be wowed by, you know, the whatever-it-takes policies and the grandiose statements by the various central bankers and so forth. But this time around, I think markets are kind of shrugging off everything the Fed is trying to do. So now when the Fed's lowering interest rates, even by a great amount, 
the markets kind of view this as confirmation of more crisis to come. So what used to be seen as supportive now is just seen as a confirmation of further trouble and further downside. But still, I mean, of course, neither the Fed nor the ECB are just going to throw their hands up in the air and say, okay, we give up, let, we'll let things play out. So this bazooka that they just tried, that didn't work. But now here comes the nuke, I think, sooner or later. Now, I don't think they will be trying to resuscitate the stock market again. I think they've no doubt seen that, that that's not going to work. We've gone into a risk-off environment already. But I think they're now setting their sights on you know, bailing out the ailing and failing industries, you know, such as the airline industry, for one thing. But I think that's a bad idea. I mean, these incompetent airlines, they issued a lot of bonds during the upturn. And they used that money from the bonds to buy their own shares, which, of course, drove up the share price, which, of course, secured huge bonuses for management. So those companies don't deserve a penny, if you ask me. Anyway, I think the Fed might also try to disperse currency to the greater population at large. In other words, they're going to try distributing helicopter money, so to speak. But I don't think that's going to help much either. I mean, you can't print food or vaccines or ventilators or water or anything like that. You can't eat fiat currency either. So if anything, the only thing that would happen is you'd see higher food prices, basically. Higher prices for the really essential goods. So I think in a bigger picture, this could actually spell the very end of easy money and the Keynesian experiment. And if this is truly the big one, then I think here's, here's actually how it's going to play out. And this is just the kind of worst case scenario, and we might not get here, here at all, I hope. But I think we could start seeing gold spike right about here. And I would view that as the beginning of the end. That would be sort of one of the four, four or so nails in the coffin of the financial system. The second nail probably would be the bank runs. In other words, people scrambling to get their money out from the banks as the bank's solvency come into question. Now, we're already seeing banks limiting their opening hours because of the virus. But amidst all this confusion, that alone could start causing some panic. And, you know, governments, as they always do, they'll respond by, you know, freezing assets or limiting withdrawals or bailing in their depositors eventually. But that won't really achieve anything substantial in terms of calming the fears. Now, the third nail would probably be increasing prices for truly necessary items. And on the flip side, paper money becoming worthless. I mean, eventually it might just become an afterthought, really, something that is now basically just like a dirty post-it note. The fourth nail would probably be the return to a far more immediate and physical economy. And maybe hard assets such as, well, gold and silver, of course, and those kind of things playing a larger role. I mean, yes, that sounds kind of crazy and medieval, but if I had to bet on a paper system that collapses every 10 years versus an asset that's been around for 6,000 years, I know what I would rely on in terms of turmoil. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, it's at that point that basically the old fiat money system is beyond salvation. I mean, that sounds pretty scary, I know, but the good news there is that we can start over and we can sort of leave the fractional reserve banking and all that stuff behind us and return to more sound money. Now, I don't think that that's necessarily what would happen, at least not in the short to medium term. I think a more likely outcome is the emergence of some kind of a Socialist promising order and structure once again. And come to think of it, conveniently, the U.S. election is just around the corner. But at least we would have something of an opportunity to start over from scratch or start over from the smoldering ruins of the past system, if it gets to that stage, and I hope not. 
Anyway, if it doesn't, and somehow we manage to cling on to our old way of life, then things that were nearly extinguished, I think, would thrive. In other words, beaten up tech stocks, some of the platforms, some of the cryptos would probably come back extremely strong. Now, throughout all of this, I don't see any less activity in tech or online in general, probably actually far more with everybody hunkered down. I do think we're going to start seeing some changes in online behavior and maybe even in how we get our news and who we trust. Speaking of which, there was a whole bunch of citizen journalists who were, as usual, some of the first to really nail the developments around the coronavirus and who basically saw this coming from a mile away. Now, these were, of course, people who have been shunned by the official media and who have been depersoned and suppressed, such as, you know, Chris Martinson, who, who pretty much foresaw all that's now unfolding. But of course, I mean, nobody in the official media listened to people like him. Now, instead, in the EU, for example, they were far more busy with entertaining Greta Thunberg at the EU Council than they were with you know, preparing for containment and securing medical supplies and so forth. So all those concerns came about six weeks late, but at least the ball is now finally rolling. Now, in any event, I think people are going to remember where they got their news from, especially if that news gave you a chance to prepare early. So people continue to use their trusted sources, but the ones that were proven right are going to be trusted even more moving forwards. Now, judging by the content that I've been consuming on you know, the platforms such as Minds.com and BitChute and so forth, if I had listened predominantly to them, that would have given me a massive leg up in preparation and in foreseeing what was about to happen. So I'm going to be continuing to rely, rely on those platforms, at least to get an alternative take on things, especially when that alternative take tends to prove more truthful and accurate. What do you think of all this? How do you make sense of all this information that's thrown at us on a day-to-day -day basis? I mean, is this just still a severe flu or are we about to witness a systemic collapse? What else haven't I thought of here that you'd like me to bring up in the next episode? Remember, you can email me on podcast at nyman.media. That's podcast at nyman.media. Thanks for listening. So stay safe and stay home. Talk to you later. Well, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to comment on an episode or if you want to support the podcast, visit nyman.media slash podcast. That's n-y-m-a-n dot slash podcast. Or feel free to leave a review wherever you're listening from. And thanks for listening. <laughs>